The date is Friday, February 26th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. It's the end of the month once again, and we have some very special guests on to have the last word. This episode, our guests are from More Magazine. They will talk us through the underrepresentation of women in the entertainment industry, why it matters, and offer up solutions on what we can do to help out their cause. So entertain this and enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of your favorite podcast on the internet. It's Entertain This! Entertain This! (laughs) What the hell was that? (laughs) A bubble came up into my throat right as I went to go say it. (laughs) Oh, God! Uh, I guess we'll keep it, right? Yeah, might as well. recover from that. All right, as always, I am uh, your, your trepid host. My name is Alex. My name is Michael. And my name is Nick. And I'm worried for Michael's health. Are <laughs> you okay? okay. <laughs> Can you complete the podcast after this? I may develop no or what are they like vocal nodules at some point during the podcast, but I hear no. those can be removed. They're fine. You're Professionals the do call them nodes. <laughs> hey, oh, hey yeah. you're you're here. You got it. Hey, what's up? It's one dog? of the words I don't want to hear ever again. Uh, <laughs> as per usual, it is the last episode of the month, and as some of you may have guessed from the uh other voices within this podcast we do have some special guests but before we get to them uh we should talk about something guys because uh we recorded our last episode uh last week and we did not mention it being our big 5-0 guys yeah. we we had our 50th Nifty podcast 50. wow yeah Nifty we didn't realize it until Thank after you. we recorded <laughs> yeah we recorded we're like what episode was this because you know we had to throw in the google drive Episode fifty. Oh, we probably should have said something. So this is our celebratory. <laughs> this is our celebratory. Yay, we made it to fifty. Let's. Here's for another great fifty to come, and then after that, hopefully, we've all you know died. Uh, so <laughs> moving forward okay. from there, uh, Nick, insert some sound effect, possibly from just i i movie of cheering mm-hmm. or clapping or something right about okay here. All right. And I'll pop a couple bottles of uh, the, the Champagne over in the corner. <laughs> there you go. Great. You're getting it all over your mic. That's going to be really sticky later. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so so we do have some guests this week, uh, as we so often do at the end of the month. And uh, here on Entertain This, we strive every month to bring you, uh, like, upgrade, 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 upgrade. We always want to bring in somebody new and interesting and, and cover something that maybe uh, the three of us, as your hosts who you're used to hearing uh maybe can't cover ourselves and i think we really hit the nail on the head with this one i think you boys would agree Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have uh a a writer and an editor from more magazine uh and if you guys would like you guys can go ahead and introduce yourselves tell us about the magazine and tell us what we're going to be talking about today Yeah, we'd love to. Um, I will start really quick because I have been on the podcast before. I'm Chloe. Hey, that's my girlfriend, Chloe. <laughs> I thought you sounded familiar. <laughs> there you go. Yes, she did the I, Animal Crossing thing. Previously seen on the Animal Crossing episode and the Ten Candles episodes. Yes, I am not a regular, but you know, I've You're been, been on three of our podcast yeah. episodes and has yet to start her own. I think that is a waste of talent. And I think in spirit, <laughs> we can count you, you as being one. a part of the Bourbon episode as well. 
Thank yeah, you. you. I was there. You were there in spirit. <laughs> in spirit, right? Mm-hmm. You get it? Because it's uh, wow. Because it's, <laughs> it's about spirits. Right. That was a good one. Nice, <laughs> nice guys. Good goof. We're starting off. I'll show myself out. Yeah. Really sorry. And um, my friend Ariana is here with me today because we are going to be talking about something that is very much of mutual interest, which is women in entertainment and media. Hell yeah. Hi, Ariana. So tell Hi. us a little about yourself, Ariana. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ariana. Um, I founded More Magazine at the end of 2020. Great time to be starting a business. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it stands for Making Opportunities Reachable for Everyone. So each issue we seek to curate content that educates, inspires, and calls people to action with the knowledge they gain. See, yeah. now that's a call to action that our our company here at Entertain This <laughs> lacks. <laughs> yeah. Talk to the yeah, marketing well, boys. They, they can figure something out. You're the marketing boys. <laughs> oh. This will kind of be your first episode that's not only, you know, inquiring your guests to think about something in the world of entertainment, but also maybe to do something about it. So that's fun. Hey, that's okay. pretty That's pretty great. We're going to have a call to action in this episode. Yeah. Um, that's you guys Audience members may recognize the name More Magazine. You guys recently featured in our promotional spot. You guys are actually one of our first uh, promotions that we've done here on the show, which is pretty awesome. Um, so good. your guys' first issue just released, is that correct? Yes, it did. Have one right here, oh, coincidentally. Man. Oh, <laughs> show it to the people watching on Twitch. Yes. Yeah, our friends on the Incredible. live stream. It is gorgeous. Yes, that. it mm-hmm. was. It's made on recycled paper. paper. Yeah, it is. Yep. Ooh. Nice. It was made nice. by all women. And we offered okay, um, free advertising to women-centric nonprofits and women-owned businesses. That's so cool. Very nice. Yeah, that was a very cool. So, see, when I say that we found experts in the field at which they're speaking, they literally <laughs> wrote the book on, <laughs> on <laughs> the working woman in entertainment. One of the books. Um, and they're so both women. One of, so one of the many. Books. <laughs> one of the many books. Um, so from this point on, I'm gonna I'm gonna shut my big mouth and toss it over to you guys. Take us away, teach us, educate us. Well, we'd love to. Um, so we're going to be talking about women in entertainment, and you know, we've made a lot of great strides in women's representation in the past, you know, fifty hundred years, but we still have a long way to go, and it is important for all of us to kind of recognize the representation that we see and, you know, spend our money accordingly to further the representation that we want to see. And that's kind of what we'll be touching on today. Um, I thought we could start with something kind of fun and go around the Discord call and um, list the first powerful woman that you can think of. Who wants to snap first? Barbara Streisand. Okay. Great answer. I love it. Thank you. Barbara Streisand, performer, Broadway star, movie star. And she was in her. Meet the Fockers. She was the mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can yep. you say that? Again? Not, I not that. her most proud role, but <laughs> for me, I loved her in it. All right, next. Meku? Oh, uh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Good choice. Good yeah. actor. Are you talking about Shakespeare's wife or the actress? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah, convinced if you they're the same person. Then you're you're definitely someone. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna go with uh, Oprah Winfrey. That's just the first person that came to mind. Yeah, I love that. Good choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Oprah is interesting because she 
you know, not only had her own TV program, but she became kind of a mogul herself. She grew her business because of her TV show. So mm-hmm. a very a multifaceted, talented, powerful woman. Ari, when she was making more magazine, asked me to write an article about representation of women in the media. And that kind of sparked the idea for us coming on the podcast today and talking about it because, you know, as far as we've made strides, there is still a long way to go. Um, And first, we're just going to kind of hit you with some basic statistics to prove that, you know, we're still kind of lacking in terms of actual representation for not only women, but women of color. So you can check out the you know, statistics websites below, but the first figure that I jotted down was in the 2019-2020 season of television, uh, 42% of streaming programs had clearly identifiable sole female protagonists, whereas cable and broadcast had 27% and 24% respectively, which I thought was interesting, first of all, because there's a bigger spike in streaming representation for women than there is on cable and broadcast. And I think it's fair to say that there's a better representation of people of color, too, if you look at, like, the Netflix originals and stuff. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. 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 I have a hypothesis as to maybe why. Yeah. Would you care to share now? (laughs) Sure. Uh, older, Older generations kind of tend more towards cable TV where the younger viewer... Uh, goes to say a Netflix or a Disney Plus, uh, usually because we don't actually know how cable works and we don't <laughs> want to invite somebody in our house to set it up. Right. But because of that, um, sort of a cause and effect, uh, the thing that our generation wants to see more of is like women representation and people of color representation. And um, those streaming services are trying to give that to our generation and they're more worried about it than the cable. Because the cable people probably get more complaints than praise <laughs> for doing things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the other side of it, you know, on the production side of things in terms of television, I wrote this stat down. I thought it was interesting. Um, women working as creators, directors, writers, executive producers, editors, and directors of photography reached historic heights on broadcast and cable programs at 31%. Women accounted for 30% of behind-the-scenes individuals working on streaming programs. So we still see a large majority of men working behind the scenes on all these programs. Yeah, we, we all really these like programs. to see that at 50-50, right? Like, that's where right, that's like ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. And, you know, streaming of female protagonists definitely gets the, close with, the closest with 42%, but... The numbers are still pretty dismal, and they get even worse as we progress into representation in film. The next statistic I had um, is that female representation um, on the production side of film is, in this last calendar year, it was 7% of directors, 13% of writers, and 20% of producers on you know, the highest grossing movies of the year, which is not great. Yeah, no, not think great of it. at all. There's only like what? I don't even know if I can name one uh, female director, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. I mean, we could rattle off plenty of male names of directors. Yeah. But it's hard to think of. Kind of sad. I'm trying to think yeah. of one. Um, who directed Little Women? It was directed by Greta Gerwig. 
Greta oh, Gerwig. See, I knew it was a Greta something. Okay. There, there's uh, Catherine Bigelow. Uh, she directed Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. Oh yeah. Two man, movies no that two movies that sit in genres that you would not think that that would be something that would like be directed by a woman by a woman. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember the buzz when she got nominated for The Hurt Locker. People were like, "Wow, was not expecting for a woman to be behind this." Yeah. <laughs> That's a hardcore like war film too, like oh, defusing bombs in Afghanistan and Iraq, which Who I think fuck? is really cool because like I think when I think this kind of comes along with pro- like progression and like progressive mindsets is not only the paying attention to things like stereotypes and uh, breaking down the walls and barriers for people of color and women uh, in their industries, but also kind of like a self awareness. So, like, in those movies, one of the big themes in both is mental health uh, of the main characters, which is, mm-hmm. like, typically you wouldn't see that. You'd see it kind of, like, as an underpinning of, like, a war movie where it's, like, the main focus is the action. But the, that's, like, the main focuses of these movies is the mental health of the characters, which Catherine Bigelow did an awesome job of portraying that through, like, not only, like, the interactions between the characters but also like the imagery in both movies absolutely fantastic Mm -hmm. definitely and how important to address mental health in one of the most you know vulnerable demographics in america right i was reading on twitter the other day some thread and it was talking about how differently men write and how women write and i think that kind of carries over into directing too like you're going to see things from a different view and like highlight different aspects of a movie or a show that might not otherwise be highlighted yeah, men and women sure. are different in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that honestly, that takes me back to uh, like a talk that I heard uh, that was put on by a... So I, I work as a software engineer in Cincinnati area. And before COVID, every year there would be a series of like conferences and talks that some people from the community would get together and share. And one of them was about uh, the importance of... Um, diversity like in all aspects of life not just in the workplace and one of the most poignant things that stood out for me from that conversation um was not only is it important just from like a metrics point of view for uh to have a diverse workplace or for to just be in a diverse place but mostly because diversity brings a different set of ideas to the table if mm-hmm. all you are getting are the same ideas from the same core people, then nothing's ever really going to change and evolve. Uh, but it's yeah. once you get in those different mindsets and different views, different backgrounds and cultures, that's where things really start to evolve and grow, which I had just never even thought of. Yeah, really well said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of the magazine itself's goal is to give a voice to people who might not necessarily have a chance to share their story and um it's really important to get that stuff out there people like to feel represented it feels good so so chloe you wrote an article within the magazine that you're referring to that's that's correct i did um do you want to tell us a little bit about that article because i think it ties into uh, this podcast that we're doing really nicely. And it's probably a good thing to mention if you guys want to uh, to read said article that we're about to talk about. Um, Ari, are the... Uh, I just dropped my pen. Are <laughs> so professional. 
are the uh, are the magazines still on sale? Like, can you still order the magazines? Mm-hmm. Yep, you can still order a hard copy, and then the articles themselves, you can read them on the website too. So I can. So we cool. can link a copy of my article. Yeah. Hey, awesome. how about that? <laughs> All these but, links yeah, in the show notes. Absolutely, <laughs> links in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. That, um, so that article that I wrote is called "Media Is a Man's World," and. It started primarily because I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater, so my expertise is kind of on the theater side of things and discrimination against race and disability and looks and height and size, you know, every aspect you could possibly imagine in theater. And um, Ari and I decided to kind of hone in on women being represented in, in theater and in film. Um, and why it's so important for us to include all kinds of people in our stories. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think at the beginning when we started talking about the article, it was after like the big award season. And I remember we talked about Natalie Portman because there weren't any women directors nominated last year. And she wore that coat. I don't know if you guys saw it, but she wore a coat that had a bunch of women directors like embroidered on it. And everyone was like, wow, wow, that's so great. Like, she's showing off the coat. Um, but, you know, how it goes in, like, Twitter threads. You read through it, and someone's like, well, Natalie Portman was a producer for a few movies, and she only hired one female director, and it was herself. So, <laughs> we great. like, our call yeah. to action is kind of, like, um, in that specific article, we were talking about how, like, if we want to be about it, you got to, like, follow through and, like, really be about it and... Because we can applaud these powerful people all day, but if they're not actually following through with their money and with their actions, then, you know, we can't support them as real contributors. Yeah, there's a phrase my my grandfather used to use quite a lot from what they tell me, and it was uh, money talks and bullshit walks. So obviously, (laughs) a lot of it, a lot of what you're saying and what I'm kind of picking up on, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... We as Americans and as as good, honest capitalists, right? Mm-hmm. We vote with our wallets mm-hmm. primarily. Every we, day. Yeah. Every day. Like, do I want a Kit Kat? Do I want a Twix? That kind of stuff. As simple mm-hmm. as that. Like, I don't know. What did what did the co- company of Kit Kat do to people in like South America? You kind of have <laughs> to be conscious of that It's almost impossible to thing. keep up with it. But oh, yeah. as long as it is something that you think about and, you know, strive to make good choices then we're still doing the right thing um right just be conscious of that that's that's mm-hmm. what we're asking here i think right. yeah we want to be responsible consumers of everything we purchase not just of our media exactly i think alex said that a little bit earlier too with how more of the streaming services are catering towards like the younger generation and like what we are wanting and what we're asking for so i mean i feel yeah, like yeah, cause they have to exactly yeah so i feel like when we are <laughs> actively voting with our wallets and like kind of using that as like well if you want us then provide what we want it's yeah (laughs) right proving or i'm gonna unsubscribe how about that (laughs) (laughs) um i included another statistic specifically about women of color directors of major studios Uh, women of color made up 13 of the 1300 top grossing movies from 2007 to 2019 which is less than one percent of all directing jobs and if we go like line by line, according to production studios, the women of color representation at Warner Brothers, 2%. Wow. 
Paramount, 2%. Sony, 1%. Disney, 1%. We see a little uptick with Universal, 3%. Fox, 4%. But then there's Lionsgate, STX, and a bunch of others that have literally 0% of representation. Again, Hmm. abysmal stats. (laughs) Yeah, that's sad. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I wrote in my article that I really liked um, was this Broadway director, and they had... um, kind of a panel of professional female directors talk about the issue of women in, you know, the workplace. It doesn't matter whether it's media or not, but she um, had kind of a call to action for her coworkers. She said, it's really simple. Gender parity can happen if people hire more women. You have to hold yourself accountable. Do, do you and your company have an interest in prioritizing gender parity? So we just have to keep holding ourselves and our peers accountable and hopefully not just hiring women and people of color because they're tokens at our companies yeah and it, that's parody as with a p-a-r right yeah parody okay, p-a-r-i-t my brain was a little slow today i was like parody <laughs> like making fun of genders i, I got you now we're good <laughs> so uh jumping back to your original statistics kind of about um not only female writers but also kind of piggybacking off of that and uh female actresses and kind of the roles that they play and especially uh writers in a man's world is where i'm kind of jumping off of with this point but uh there's something that i'm sure if uh, i i didn't bring it up now you were already going to talk about but the bechdel test uh seems to be something really important when it comes to uh female representation in media and literature uh, and the Bechdel test is, of course, a test uh, made by uh, I read her book Fun Home, and Allison I can't remember Bechtel. her name. There it is. Thank you, Chloe. <laughs> um, Alison Bechtel made mm-hmm. a test called the Bechdel test. It consists of three rules. Um, those rules are the there have to be two female characters. Um, a conversation between those two female characters and those two characters' conversation should not be about a man. Um, and I have a fun little game that we can play if you guys want to. <laughs> yeah. I have I have a list of movies here, and you guys can guess whether or not they pass the Bechdel test. Does that sound fun? Yes. The Bechdel test is when two women are talking about a man, correct? Wait, that's that means that they have failed two women are the talking and they're not talking about a man. All right, oh, so um, two women just have to have a conversation not about men. And you'd be amazed the amount of media that fails this test. Oh yeah, it's a pretty low bar to be honest. Just so, a, uh, it's not great. So here's the list for you. Um, the first one, and and we can talk about this as a group and come to a consensus before I tell you the result. Uh, so the first one, I'm going to start off with a uh, with a low ball. The movie Up. No. I don't even think there's two women talking in that entire movie. I think there's one the only woman I can even think of is the wife. Yep. Right. So there's there's probably one female character in it. The rest are all either men or dogs, mm-hmm. which sometimes are hard to differentiate between. Or large birds. That one, <laughs> or large birds. That one does not pass the Bechtel test. So let's throw another uh let's throw another softball at you guys. Uh Shawshank Redemption. No. 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 Of course not. Of all men. Yeah. It is a movie about a men's prison, so no, it does not pass the Bechtel test. So we're kind of getting the idea. 
So let's get into some more difficult ones. Uh, the social network. Zuck. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't think so. I can't think okay. of a scene where two women talk to yeah, each other. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. I just know it's Ben Zuckerberg. Yeah, I could tell by the, you just saying the word Zuck and then Zuck. Zuck. silence. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's the consensus, guys? No. no. I'm going to say no. no. It does okay, not so no, pass not. the Bechdel test. That's correct. All right. Okay, here. How about this one? Finding Nemo. I'm going to say no. No. Ooh. No? I don't well, think so. Because every everything I can think of is there's so Dory. female characters. You have Dory. I think yep. the starfish. Uh, starfish, maybe the one who inks. Who's that one? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. a girl? Yeah, the little baby octopus. Mm-hmm. But all her friends are yeah. dudes. She's the only girl in the group. Yes yeah, so and no. You are correct. It does not pass the Bechdel <laughs> test. All right, let's do a couple more. Right. Um, <laughs> and then and then we'll we'll call it on this on this game. So far, you guys have gotten every single one right. So let's let's jazz it up a little bit. Um, how about <laughs> Silence of the Lambs? I have not seen that. Ooh, I hear that's scary. It. Yeah, it's really scary. Say, it is I'm scary. Yes, I don't pass on the scary movies. I don't remember, but I want to say yes because I like that movie. Aren't there girls in no. it? Doesn't he? Doesn't he kidnap girls? Well, yeah, yeah, he kidnaps and skins them in his basement. Are they ever together? Now, remember that. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Okay. I don't know. But I'll Rem- say that I remember think it passes. that one of the rules is that they, are, if they do have a conversation, it has to be some about something other than a man. Uh, well, they would be talking yeah. about Buffalo uh, Bill. And they're probably so. talking about the guy. So what's the guess? Yeah. No. <laughs> now, now keep in mind, if at any point during the movie it passes all three of these, it passes the test. So if for a second they're talking about something other than a man, they made it. Uh, and believe it or not, Silence of the Lambs passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> I was right. Yeah, does it, it actually say when? does. Hey. It, it does not say when, but of it does say it that they pass. <laughs> so go watch the movie and find that moment. Um, <laughs> Maybe I will. Really, name all the lines of dialogue. You watch the movie, name them all. <laughs> all right. Name one. Here, here's, a, here's an interesting one. How about The Fast and the Furious? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I haven't seen those either. I that's okay. Either. That's what the, the, fast the original Fast and the Furious. Mostly guys, though. Some hot girls. Yeah. There is <laughs> one <Okay>. hot girl <laughs> who's the sister to Dom. She's played by Megan Fox, right? Nope. Uh, that's no. You're thinking. Of <laughs> oh, just let's keep going. Oh, okay. I'm excited. That's what they're first. Speaking of misogynists, <laughs> throw Michael Oof. Bay in there. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> consensus: Fast and the Furious. Where we oh, sit? Gosh. Uh, sure. I'm gonna assume no. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say no, but I wouldn't <laughs> I be surprised I got, if it's I think yes. I got three no's and a yes. Is yeah. that correct? I'm the yeah. yes. The answer is no. It does not pass the Bechdel <laughs> test. Come on. All right, yeah. last Come one. On. I swear. Yeah. Uh, how about let's go with Mad Max Fury Road? Yes. Ooh. Yes. I, think so. I say yes. Yeah. So. Yes, everybody. Consensus. It passes yes. the Bechdel yeah, test. No, yeah. no, yeah. Theron. Yeah, no, th- absolutely. Th- yeah, there's a conversations with Th- Charlie Theron and the other daughters of uh, <laughs> basically Jabba the Hutt. Um, so that was our first rendition of "Does It Pass the Bechdel Test?" Yeah. an ongoing skit that just started on Entertain This. Let's see if we ever get back to it. Great bit, Alex. Great bit. Nice. You I like have it. to keep having women on if you yeah. want to go back to the game. So yeah, we we have a lot of men on here. That's for sure. Do you guys pass the test? Yeah. <laughs> we Do rarely we? talk about men. Uh, so. Hey. 
Yeah, Chloe, Ari, why don't you guys have a quick conversation about entertainment media? <laughs> like we've been doing for the last half hour? Yeah, then we'll so then pass we passed the, the test. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, once you started yeah. talking about that, it made me think about TV shows. Um, and even some of the women-written ones. Like, I'm thinking of, like, um, The Mindy Show, which is a fantastic show. Um, and I feel like mm-hmm. there is more culture mm-hmm. in it. But yeah, pretty sure all of Mindy's problems are men. Crazy ex-girlfriend, right. don't even get me started. Oh, I, I just started that. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, they never talk about anything but Josh. Yeah. And and Gilmore Girls, a show that I had just binge-watched all the way through. <laughs> Sorry, Michael, that's why it's on your Netflix. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Also, thank you for uh, turning my TV's volume to six. Come on, man. Uh, but I know. I just went to go turn on Netflix, and you know how it yeah, does those re-roll <laughs> commercials for the show? It turned on and just, ah! but, but yeah, even Gilmore Girls that has, like, girls right there in the name, all they, like, ever talk about are men who bother them, men who annoy them, her father, like, it always loops back around to men. It has to be a full conversation that does not involve a man. Men are um, a real problem, though, so if you look at it like that. that. I mean... They cause most of our problems, let's be honest. Yeah, they do. <laughs> They're a real problem. I wish I could do something about it. It's kind of wild on the flip side, though, how, like, there's plenty of men's movies or whatever that don't talk about women at all. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's it kind of falls into <laughs> mm-hmm. the stereotype of, like, men can't talk about their feelings. So, like, you'll never see two guys just like, man, I, I just can't stop, like... Well, I guess in most rom-coms, you have a moment where they're like, I just can't stop thinking about her. But, like, in any it's other form... Though, yeah. But it's, it's different, like, like, talking about a woman with your guys is okay, but, like, talking yeah. about just yeah. your individual feelings never happens. Right, right. Why would I talk about my feelings if they're guys? <laughs> <laughs> That's gay? See, let's let's call that the entertain this test. It passes the entertain this test if it has a scene where a man is talking to another man, and it's not about a woman, it's about his feelings. <laughs> then it passes the entertain this test. That's good. Yeah. Wouldn't the Sean Shank redemption mm-hmm. then pass that one? It would. Well, yeah, they do talk about their feelings. Yeah. 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 And so would Green Mile. So Green Mile. Yep. One. Green Mile surely would. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So that's two that passed the entertain this test. If you guys have any more, get a, get with us on Twitter. <laughs> uh, all of our usernames will be at the end of the uh, <laughs> at the end of the episode. In the show notes. Yeah, probably there too. Actually, link in the show notes. (laughs) Anyway, I've taken us far off the course you all have planned with my little. No, no, no! You really didn't. I that Bechtel test uh, segment was one for the books. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. I've written that one down. (laughs) But to kind of wrap up the statistics talk, because I don't want to say any more numbers, even though I'm still going to say some numbers later. All right. Um, this is my last like important statistic. Um. And it's very telling. I'll definitely cite this source below, but the percentage of female film directors in 2018 jumped from 4.5 um, to 10.6 in 2019. But based on years of percentages and data, this figure is probably going to drop again. So it goes up and then it goes back down a lot. And then it goes up. It's like two steps forward and three steps back. Hmm. So as much as we celebrate the representation that we're already getting, we have to keep pushing for it to be even more than, you know, 10%. 
Yeah. Could I could I do a little metaphor right here? I promise it won't be too bad. Yeah. Um, Just don't quote Stalin. We will not no, quote no Stalin, Stalin in this episode. <laughs> so when I grew up, my mom cooked a lot, like, with bland stuff. A lot of spaghetti, a lot of, like, just regular old chicken. Um, and now, as, as I've kind of grown up, in, in my kitchen right now, there's an entire spice rack. And I, I marinate chicken. I put spices all over it. I don't just cook with regular old pasta. You know, there's, there's a little whole grain in there. I sprinkle it on. A little salt bay action. Um, but yeah, I yes. mean, if you, if you compare that to, like, media and you know, diversity and inclusion and all that. It's like, I grew up raised on, you know, white men on the TV talking about how women are, are always nagging them to do their chores or something like that. Tim Allen. Women be right shopping. <laughs> women be shopping though. Um, and then nowadays, nowadays I turn on the TV, like Disney plus, I just watched a movie called, uh, soul, which is a African American protagonist. Go check out that episode. And it's like, up until this point, it's that's all I had. It was just white men. But now that you have like this perspective of, of all these different types of people and all these different backgrounds, like that's a, that's a huge thing. And it adds like a certain, a spice to life, if you will. Yeah. Nick, I hate to tell you this, but soul doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Damn it. (laughs) But even though it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, it still offers us a unique perspective that some of us would never get and that's what stories are supposed to do they're supposed to offer us looks into people's lives that we would never otherwise obtain we want to live as many lives as possible in the one life we get and that's what stories do Mm -hmm. and like having that representation like living through other stories but also feeling like there's someone that you can relate to and i feel like once you see something like that in a movie you know that like other people also feel the same way that you do so there's like a weird sense of unity even when you're just watching it at home by yourself absolutely mm-hmm. we're all human we all feel the same things mm-hmm. we do and it's nice to have universal experiences it's affirming that we're all human mm-hmm. and to the point about like how you said your mom used to cook kind of bland and now you spice it up in the kitchen um i do <laughs> i think that's <laughs> like um i can't think i think it was nelson mandela that said it but i could be wrong so don't cite this one but um <laughs> how they say like be the change you wish to see in the world and so i feel like that's gandhi Ga- that was gandhi dang it somebody impactful <laughs> that's all right um but i feel like as we get older and as a lot of like people of our generation are entering like these newer positions or like positions that are higher up and like making those choices that i mean i'm hopeful that we'll continue seeing more diverse cast and diverse um, production teams as we're the ones growing up and being like we want to see this and not just like like wanting it on the consumer side but making it happen yeah more diverse teams outperform they outperform everything like i don't know i can't cite the statistic off the top of my head but like um with marketing teams in particular the more diverse uh, a team is the more better they perform every campaign they do is like doesn't it make sense it obviously makes sense. I mean, if you're if you're a creative mm-hmm. person, you need different perspectives. You just can't eat raw spaghetti every day and expect <laughs> a, a spice to come in there every once in a while. Sorry, I'm overusing that metaphor. I must be hungry. <laughs> raw? I mean, is this spaghetti <laughs> at least dinner. cooked? <laughs> it's. It mm-hmm. might be. Who knows? It's bland as hell. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Either way, it's bland as hell. 
Well, I want to Just like movies without the Bechdel test passing. Bland as hell. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your snaps of appreciation. Sorry I interrupted your segue. Take it. Ride that segue into the sunset. I am. I'm going to I'm going to segue off of the point that our generation is now getting old enough to start being promoted and to start making important decisions and reflecting what we want in our media. But um, I guess I have another stat I'm going to throw in your face, but I think it's the last one. So there you go. Um, Women make up 49 percent of the workforce in media and entertainment. But this figure is mostly made up of entry level positions. Um, (laughs) And it is easier for them to be promoted. Women statistically get promoted faster. But then once they are promoted, we see a huge drop-off when they reach these high-level positions of the people that they are responsible for. And a majority of women report higher standards for work than their male peers. Um, There was a study done on a U.S. national survey that showed that women who got straight A's in school oversee the same amount of people um you know in the workforce than men who got like f's in high school once (laughs) they reach the same position yeah they're overseeing the same people which Mm -hmm. doesn't feel right no (laughs) no Mm -hmm. no that ain't right at all that's largely upsetting Mm -hmm. yeah and like there's a whole cultural side of it too of like one of the biggest things that i see in like the field that i work in is that like negotiating for salary is like a big thing uh when it comes to like like men are much more willing to overstate their expected salary than women are like women like believe that they should like whether it be whether it be like internally enforced or externally enforced uh like they generally don't offer or like try and contend a salary more than what they believe they're actually worth whereas there like, is still a wage gap hmm. of 81 cents to the dollar mhm and a lot of it, especially in these higher paying jobs, comes from uh, men not having the same standards for what they want or like what they try and compete for when women do. And that could be the whole side of like, like women not like wi- culturally women not deserving these sorts of positions or whatnot. Just yeah, leaking I think into a lot of it has to do with like um, the confidence too. I have a lot of friends who work in HR and um a lot of people will say that work that like in that industry that um men will come in much more confident asking for above and beyond and women will come in less confident about that but mm-hmm. like just and they'll be applying for the same job but it's still just i don't know what it right. is and i mean it could like you said be culturally but yeah that's so well, yeah and like even on top of that there's there's problems of like like men not having any problems applying for a job where they only meet like one or two of the requirements on the the job application where like women generally feel that they have to meet every requirement or else they will be unqual like will be overlooked well, and take a look at the statistics the that we've stated just in this podcast alone if those statistics were staring down at you i doubt yeah. you'd be able to walk in with your pockets turned out right and tell them what you need you know mm. yeah it's intimidating Especially just because that's how society has yeah. built it. How can you walk in confident knowing that all of those statistics are working against you and that there must be something to it? It's a snake that eats its own tail. There's a very popular metaphor where um, this is called like the glass screen or the glass mm. ceiling. It's something that women, mm. you can't really see it, but you can't quite rise above it anyway. And it's that mm-hmm. inherent bias. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so which raises like a really interesting point. Like, what do we do to counteract that? Like, what do we do? Because if it's something that is like such a hard thing to interpret and see, like how do we look within ourselves and our own like processes to overcome that? So maybe it's things like on like a job application or like a job listing, um, not placing as much of an emphasis on like meeting these strict like technical skills or something and leaving it towards more open-ended, um, open-ended like soft skills. Uh, because those generally, no matter what the job is, are just as important as the technical skills. And especially as you go higher up, like within a company or within management or whatever, those soft skills become so much more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And they're like, often lacking. Yeah. And yeah. those are harder to teach on the job. I think with like job listings too, um, something that's come up a lot in like my LinkedIn timeline um, <laughs> has been um, cultural fit versus cultural ad. And I feel mm-hmm. like looking for people not only to kind of fit into your culture, but that will add to your culture instead and like enhance the work environment and enhance like the output that is happening. Like Nick, you said earlier with like creativity and marketing, like having those different backgrounds and not just fitting what's now that now that i think about it i think i came i came across through the grapevine one of like did you write an article or something about that through linkedin um I, i i shared something about it okay i think through the grapevine i saw the article that you shared because i know exactly which one you're talking about where like that is the big premise is like if all you're doing is looking to find a cultural fit and all of your company is just like late twenties, early thirties, white guys, mm-hmm. then all you're <laughs> going to find are late twenties, early thirties, white guys. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you can't espouse that and say that you're having a cult. You want a culture of diversity, like, because you're just not. Like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I'm thinking back on all like my previous careers. It's, it's like, I didn't see it so much with like, ethnicity or anything like that but it was definitely like an age thing for sure because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i mean they just i didn't see a whole lot of older people there maybe they were just too smart to work at that company i don't know <laughs> but um sometimes you do need a little bit of an older perspective i mean i, I, mean, I don't yeah. know if there's much of an age gap but i mean ethnicity is so much more important than age but i'm just you know off the cuff here mm-hmm. I mean, you can get so, into the whole conversation of ageism as well within the workplace and that in in and of itself is a whole other thing Right. Yeah, it's another can of worms that I'm not going to open. <laughs> well, I feel like sometimes people will account or um, make age and experience or wisdom, whatever, equivalent, and that's not always the case. Like mm-hmm. somebody can have a ton of experience and be younger, even though they haven't been in the industry as long. Right. Yeah, the flip side of that is you can have a 65-year-old that's completely stupid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like most of America. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but... <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're listening to this and you're over the age of 60, you're most likely not one of those people. Yeah, how did you even get here? Unless you're asking how to say the PDF. (laughs) (laughs) You know how many times I I thought that this was a podcast to teach me how to use Windows. Where's Clippy? No, that's not what 60-year-olds sound like. Aunt Barb, if you're listening, that's not what you sound like. (laughs) Huge apologies for the retirement crowd. Also, hi, Aunt Barb. Oh, here, Barb. How did you make it to this part of the internet? Because of the bourbon episode. Come on. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you're right. We did. We did. Yeah. But anyways, to get back on track. Um, 
I wanted to circle back a little bit because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to kind of pose a, a philosophical musing, especially for Ari, because as anyone on the Twitch stream can see, Ari is the only person of color here. So she's really the only one that can actually, you know, answer this question with any real authority. But recently an issue came up with um, a student board at NKU and somebody was and this is all public record so you know i'm not <laughs> and, spilling and any beans nku here. for our non-local listeners yes is northern, is northern kentucky, kentucky university, university mm-hmm. my alma hey, mater i asked yeah. you about this a couple of weeks ago and you looked at me and you said i don't know i don't go there anymore yeah well i got the tea <laughs> okay great Ooh. let's at hear first it. i thought Dish it was it. just dumb but now i'm actually interested yeah now, you know what? Yeah. all this college stuff man <laughs> Well, at first I thought that it was just, you know, student government infighting, but what had actually happened was their president was kind of under trial because she was quoted as saying that she was representing the accurate student body of NKU because she hired every person of color that applied to work on the student government board. And people were like, isn't that tokenism? So I would love to kind of touch on that and what is the difference between real representation and hiring people versus tokenism and just hiring them because of their color. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier um, with how hiring people for a reason or just hiring them to have a picture of them on your website or whatever. So, I mean, Mm. obviously, I don't think she should have said that. She didn't choose the right words, that's for sure. Right, and I don't think you should just hire somebody because they're a person of color. Um, This came up on Instagram with, like, a bunch of influencers, especially over the summer. They were like, let's highlight these black creators. And a lot of the black creators, um, they were mostly women, they were like, please don't follow me because I'm black. (laughs) Follow me because of the content that I'm putting out and that it's valuable and that it adds to your life in some way. And so I think that that's the big difference between tokenism and um, that value-added diversity, um, because then you're getting different points of view, and you're not just having someone who more or less is just there for show. Hmm. Well put, Thanks. yeah. <laughs> you're doing this um, podcasting thing great, just in case you were curious. You're nailing this. <laughs> Thank you. My hands are a little <laughs> less sweaty. <laughs> great. <laughs> Well, um, one of the last big things that Ari and I both wanted to touch on was um, obviously social media is a huge part of all of our lives. And one of the ways that we can, you know, empower ourselves, not only with our wallets and the choices we make spending every day, but engaging with these social media companies is a big way to make them understand what we want of them. Um, And one of the stories that we kind of wanted to throw out there along these lines is um, everybody's familiar with the women's magazine Cosmopolitan, right? We've all read it. We've all seen it. (laughs) I'm sure that's where you boys get your best sex tips. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm laughing. I'm laughing because to a T. (laughs) Yeah, there's a what's that subreddit called? Are you talking about like bad women's anatomy? No, no, no. It's a. Oh Cosmo- no! You guys are gonna name a bunch of misogynistic <laughs> subreddit. Yeah. It had something to do with Cosmo, like um, I don't know. I have to have. I can't think right now. But it's funny. Put and it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not misogynistic. I promise. Okay, but um, 
Cosmopolitan UK in their February 2021 issue did a spotlight about body positivity and it was called This Is Healthy and on the cover it had a plus size woman doing yoga and there was huge backlash online about them being accused of promoting obesity and you know, some of the women that were featured in this issue were athletes and fitness coaches and disability rights advocates and yoga teachers and Paralympians. So obviously, they are healthy people. They're strong people. And just because they look a certain way that our European brainwashing doesn't agree with doesn't mean that they're not healthy. So Cosmopolitan kind of had an uphill battle when they posted that that article that spotlight and Hmm. as chloe said like a lot of the social i think it is like a lot of people just people who probably weren't even subscribers that just saw it and right because hate bandwagon almost right yeah Yeah. you have to probably mostly people who use facebook (laughs) (laughs) i'm having a lot of hot takes this episode (laughs) you have to believe that the regular (laughs) readers of cosmopolitan would be i was psyched to see this feature because you know, women that look like that can look at Cosmopolitan and be like, yeah, I'm healthy and I'm beautiful too. And just because I look this way doesn't mean that I'm not. Yeah. And part of message. it. Yeah. And this, especially because um, I know one of the other articles and, or examples that we talked about was Vogue's body positive issue that came out <laughs> and it was literally all like Kendall Jenner replicas. Um Yep down the yeah. line except for like one plus mm-hmm. size model who was like a size eight yeah it was ashley graham and she was the only one that they had like cover her leg or whatever everyone else had like their hands on their hips and they had ashley graham who was the plus size model for that cover cover her leg almost to like because then it like it created the le- illusion that she was like the same size as the other girls which that's not right i mean so we uh, get this opposite end of the spectrum vogue saying this is beauty this is healthy if you look like you could walk the runway Hmm. which is damaging yeah i think back to um an episode of a tv show long forgotten by many in our generation called that's so raven (laughs) (laughs) not long forgotten. we love that ari's face was just like yes i know i had a vision there was (laughs) (laughs) that is so raven So there was there was an episode of That's So Raven, everyone knows, of course, because everyone knows about Raven Simone, that um, one of her dreams was to become a fashion designer, and she finally designed a dress that was going out on the runway. Oh, Michael's catching on. I know on. this episode. I re- this episode, <laughs> I actually watched like three or four times as a kid, and I loved it. Yeah, actually, oh, I can that. we just talk about That's So Raven for a second? Because I would love to. Because <laughs> I got another episode on my mind as well. But talk there was about the episode a woman where- of color representation. Mm-hmm. There was the episode where, like, you know what? We'll get into it next. I want to finish my first thought, which was <laughs> this episode was like she she modeled she made this dress, and uh, basically the person running the runway was like, "No, we're gonna have a like you're the designer. You don't get to model it." And uh, instead, we're gonna have like this girl model it, and the model was like stick thin. And throughout the episode, it kind of becomes obvious that the reason that raven does get to model her own dresses because she is a plus size according to this uh this person running this uh fashion show uh come to the end of the episode through you know raven shenanigans she <laughs> ends up on the runway with the model both of them in the same dress 
and the model ends up like running off for like gives Raven the stage or however it comes to be, but she ends up modeling it and everybody goes crazy for this dress. And kind of the message of the episode is like body positivity. And we're talking like late 2000s into the 2010s in an era where like MTV, at least, definitely was not selling that. No. They were not they were not peddling those wares. And it's just shocking that a show on Disney Channel is like this is maybe not something you want to hear, but something you need to hear. Um, And to kind of roll off of that into the second episode that came to mind when talking about this, there was an episode where Raven was applying for a job and the manager was like, I don't hire black people like said that on Disney Channel. And everyone was like, holy shit, like watching this go down. And, of course, Raven and her Raven ways gets the lady fired, as she should have been. And the show goes on from there. She ends up getting the job that she wanted and working on that kind of stuff. And then us as kids internalized that that behavior in the workplace is unacceptable. We learned it from such a young age. That show was revolutionary. So talk about, yeah, talk about people to celebrate within media. Like, hell yeah, Raven Simone, get your your shit. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, but I do, I want to interject and say that, you know, body positivity, it's really important that it goes both ways. As much as we want to celebrate women of any size, plus sizes, we have to also celebrate the women who are really skinny too, because all body shapes are natural and all of them are good. And, you know, they all deserve to be represented. It's just that we want more representation of Mm-hmm. And healthy looks mm. different for everybody, and so that representation should be there every time. I was telling Chloe, um, so I I used to model a little bit. It was very amateur, so like, um, whatever. <laughs> I hate saying that because then I feel weird. <laughs> but you are a girl. I'll say it for you. She's a model. Ugh, okay, but um, <laughs> I am five three, and I was telling Chloe when we were talking about body positivity and like walking the walk and like following through and stuff and this um fashion show week or whatever um entity reached out because they saw like my instagram and like i try to share like my work on there and stuff and they asked if i would come do a casting they liked what i did and all this stuff and like i read up on them and they were talking about how inclusive and representative they wanted to be of like everybody and like different colors different sizes all the things and um they sent me another message. I can't remember if I posted something that made me look like my actual height or whatever, but they were like, by the way, how tall are you without heels on or something? And I was like, oh, I'm 5'3". And they're like, oh, our um, minimum height is like 5'10 or something. And I'm like, 5'10? Something something that was much taller than me. I was like, (laughs) okay, well... Okay. If you're going to say you're inclusive, then like maybe add a little asterisk and say, but not at the bottom or something. Except for short not, people. Not to people yeah. below 5'10", yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, that brings up like, okay. the flip side of that, which is, um, um, well, I guess men kind of struggle with that. Not as much as women, of course, but like the whole, the whole Tinder bit where it's mm-hmm. like, I only date men that are above six feet. <laughs> It's like, Even though what? they're like 5'2", it's like, girl, <laughs> <laughs> what are you getting at? <laughs> yeah, but let's not discount the fact that men are definitely pretty vocal about what they're looking for and oh, women, yeah. too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Objectification happens always. 
Yeah, something we didn't even talk about is like sexual harassment in the workplace because obviously that goes to like a way dark place (laughs) that we don't necessarily need to do. Especially in the entertainment industry. You guys can definitely do your own research there. There's plenty of stories for you to find. Oh, yeah. You know, keep yourselves informed, um, but we don't have to get into it. It's important to acknowledge that it happens, Mm -hmm. but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, staying on staying on the the note of body positivity, though, like it's already hard enough to like be positive about your own body. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's so easy to just like mentally dunk on yourself. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. It's something I just like consistently do like over like over the last like three years i've like slowly put on like 40 pounds and like you alex and chloe can attest to this there have been times where i have just like called myself out and just been like i am a fat disgusting slob and i just like and they've both had to like stop me and just be like michael you're fine hey king you dropped your crown (laughs) you shut the fuck up look at you yeah, <laughs> it's hard to not like shit on yourself though, because like you're the only right. person that sees yourself in the mirror naked all the time. I mean, how much time <laughs> are you spending there? <laughs> yeah. oh, it helps to limit that. That's what I that. have found. But well, I mean, it's you feel like this inherent right to be able to judge yourself differently than like how other people can judge you, and so there's less of a mental barrier of like, oh, my actions, how do they, or my actions and thoughts, how do they affect others? You don't even have to think about that because it's just it's me. I know how it affects me, but it makes me sad all the time. (laughs) It makes me really sad for no goddamn reason. I just got out of the shower. I was feeling good. Now I'm sad for (laughs) fuck this guy in the mirror. He's an asshole. Now I think I've had that conversation like legitimately like once a month. So like, what do we do? We give ourselves positive affirmations. We give our friends positive affirmations. We say, you look fucking great. I'm sorry. Should I have said fucking? Yeah, you're... Well, you said it <laughs> again. You, no, might as well keep, <laughs> you want to say it one more time? We said, we're going to say whatever the fuck we want. For a while, Nick tried to bleep it out, but he couldn't keep up with us. We said I it too many times. Especially not after I came back. <laughs> <laughs> but to but to sweep to sweep with what you're saying, Chloe, like in the entertainment industry, let's go see movies that are like directed by women, written by women, starring women, about women, mm-hmm. not about yes. men. And not about out of tokenism that, either. Mm-hmm. Not out of tokenism yeah, but, either, but also because of the different ideas and perspectives those movies can bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Like these go see movies that aren't made because they needed to make a movie about a woman or they wanted to cash in on that blockbuster like ticket that women would come and see it like go see movies like little women which like is a classic story that has always been about women and it's just about Mm -hmm. women and it was directed by a woman like that's what we're here to talk about and celebrate and i'm so glad you guys came on to kind of open I mean, the three of our eyes, obviously, but of course, our listeners, anybody out there who needed to hear it or maybe didn't know about it, and who knows, you guys might have sparked that kind of search in somebody who would go do the research and could do something to change the world. Who knows? And maybe go buy your copy of More Magazine. Hello? <laughs> yes. Yeah, That's link it up. Link it in the Go check out the website. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we love it. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to throw it. Uh, over to Nick in a segment that he calls Reviews with Nick, or he calls it whatever. Uh, it's the other <laughs> not Nick. Me, it's the not way. the. Yeah. It's not thick Nick. It's <laughs> the other go. Nick. Thank you. Um, yeah, and he's gonna do another review on a film festival film that he watched while in um, COVID lockdown 
home arrest because of the Worldwide Panda Express. We'll be right back. What's going on, Entertain This fans and frequent podcast listeners? This is Nick, the other Nick, back again with another review out of Sundance Film Festival 2021. Last week, last episode, we talked about the film Censor, and this week we are continuing the trend of female directors, female writers, with a little film called The Blazing World, written and directed by Carlson Young. The film, well, the synopsis goes a little something like this. Ever since Margaret was six years old, she has been haunted by the memory of watching her sister drown during an explosive fight between her parents. As a young woman, she slides further into her twisted inner life, ultimately finding herself on the brink of suicide. Through an epic journey down the smokiest and scariest corridors of her imagination, she tries to exercise the demons, pushing her closer and closer to the edge. So as it turns out, I think that I ended up liking this movie a lot more than many people on the app, movie review app, Letterbox, as well as just um, in a lot of the critic circles that I uh, run around in, uh, which is interesting. Um, I, I would not have thought that it would go in this direction, that I'm, I guess, in the minority when it comes to this movie. Um, I... <laughs> I think when you look at this movie for what it is in the sense that this is a feature length adaptation of a short of the same name written and directed by Carlson Young, this is her debut feature. I think when you take it on those merits alone, it is a very impressive debut feature. Um, it was shot, I believe, during the pandemic as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think they shot it down in Dripping Springs, Texas. I know that Austin Film Festival was doing some stuff with it. There's, I, I remember doing a lot of research and, and uh, listening to the uh, intro for it during the festival, and they mentioned that. So as someone that lived in Austin for a number of years, uh, it's nice to, nice to hear about that. It's always a thriving uh, film community down there. Uh, but Again, if you're examining this on a debut feature, I, I do think it ticks off a lot of good boxes and ultimately is a pretty good package. The performances in this movie are scattershot, though, to say the least. Many of the actors felt like they were new to the screen and it showed. Um, and unfortunately, the main performance by Carlson Young is also hit and miss. Uh, and since she is directing the feature, it seems like some of the uh, the the, div the divisions between the work, whether she was being the actress on uh, in front of the camera or whether she was behind the camera, it seemed like there was a separation there. And I think that she is much more in control and talented, I would say, behind the camera than she is in front. That's not to say that she is a bad performer by really any stretch of the imagination, but there's just a couple moments when it's like, you probably could have done another take of that and punched that performance up a bit more, um, cut around some things, this, that, and the other. One particular performance in this film by a actor whose name I'm going to butcher, Udo Kier. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's got a familiar face. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Tommy Wuso in his acting performances and the way that he inflected some of his lines and did some takes it it's really off-putting it's I, I couldn't tell if i was supposed to be laughing at this dude or if i'm supposed to be threatened by this guy and you will you'll understand when you see the film he does sort of take play this slightly villainous sort of friendly character um and his just performance was 
gleefully weird. Uh, and I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but he's an odd person and his performance in his, in the way that he spoke had a certain Tommy Wiseau cadence. So that's why I draw the comparison. What I did like about the film was the wonderful imagery and the imaginative nature of it. It feels very much like Alice in Wonderland, but with a dark bent to it. There's some beautiful colors and fantastical sets and environments at play here, and Young does an incredible job at capturing those visions. Some sequences for me, though, last a bit too long and wear out their welcome, but there is still plenty of fun to be had here. It lacks a bit of an emotional payoff, and the whole sister-sister relationship, much like the last movie I reviewed, is all too similar to other Sundance films and just movies in general. I feel like there's quite a few of those that really tap into that. And I feel like I'd seen way too many of them within a short amount of time. And that's why I'm harping on it a lot because it feels like that's all I've seen lately. So maybe that's a me thing, but whatever. Uh, the film shows promise of a directing career from Carlson Young. Uh, hopefully next time though, she does decide to put someone else in front of the camera because I do think that the main takeaway of this movie from me is not only that I think that she shows great potential as a director. Um, I think that she's got vision. I think that she's creative and I think that she's got a lot of great ideas and she knows how to execute them fairly well. I just, I don't think that her directing and acting works. I'd have to see something that she acted in solo um, and not behind, and not directing before I could make a real general assessment of her acting abilities. Um, but she's not terrible by any means. Like I said, there's just some moments where it's like, okay, you probably could have cut away from that. It's got some pretty scary moments, some genuine suspense. Um, there is a couple graphic moments, but nothing too crazy. Uh, I think overall it is a fun watch. I think I would definitely recommend it if it's on a streaming service or something like that. Definitely go out of your way to watch it. I wouldn't spend any hardcore money on it. I wouldn't do any of these like $19.99, $20, whatever, uh, renting, renting things that they're doing lately with the whole pandemic and stuff. Um, so I would keep it pretty uh, conservative uh, when it comes to your uh, wallet, but definitely look, keep your eye out for this one. It's, it's, it's an interesting watch. So uh, I definitely, definitely would say you should look into it for sure. So that is my review for The Blazing World. And next week, next episode, we're going to talk about a couple of other really interesting flicks. So I hope you'll join me next time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this week, we are brought back to our usual rounds where Michael is going to throw a quick this at us. And from what he said before we start recording, it's going to be pretty fucking weird. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not weird. Get out of here. Yeah, Nick, Nick, I get the feeling, is going to really enjoy this one. So today for Yikes. this quick this, we are going to talk about the incredibly dark lore behind Thomas the Tank Engine. So I'm rubbing right. my grubby paws. Let's get Wait, into it. Hold on. Wait for it. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when. Blow the train Hold. whistle when it's ready. I don't have a train whistle. You're going to have to edit it in. Okay, ready? Get ready to edit in that sound effect and put it in. All right. So we have Thomas the Tank Engine. We, know, we all kind of know who Thomas the Tank Engine is, what it is. Like, it's a PBS story that comes from like the mid 70s or whatever um but so thomas the tank engine is the original <laughs> nick said no of, i don't know <laughs> Sorry, i didn't continue. do research on the origins or whatever just by like who came up with it 
who came up with this absolute mind fuck of a world? Uh, so we have Thomas the Tank Engine. It's the result of the Anglican uh, minister, Reverend Wilbert Audrey, who was trying to come up with stories to entertain his son while he was suffering from measles. So throughout this process, he ended up writing a bunch of books uh, ended up, that ended up being converted into a TV series um, for children. However, the TV series took on a lot of very dark themes, uh, one of which being that the surrounding world almost plays into a like pre-modern corporate totalitarian government almost (laughs) and there are examples of this um so first off thomas tank engine takes place on the fictional island of sodor which is said to be in between uh uh uh, England, uh, mainland, Great England, Britain, and Ireland. Yep. Mainland, England, and Ireland in the Irish Sea. Boy, I don't remember uh, that detail. Uh-uh. No, so th- there's sure. actual like lore behind this shit, which is what got <laughs> me my interest thoroughly peaked. Um, How did you find this rabbit hole? So, YouTube is all rabbit holes. <laughs> as all that's rabbit true. holes start. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's a pretty bold claim to make that this, the world around Thomas the Tank Engine, this kid-friendly TV show that we all know and love, is actually a representation of this horrible, horrible dystopian world. But let's point to some examples. We have the sad story of Henry. Or, another, <laughs> or in the case of the US, it was titled, Come Out, Henry. Now, this episode was the second ever episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. And it follows the story of Henry, a curmudgeon of a train who is refusing to leave his tunnel to go out in the rain because it will ruin his new paint job. <laughs> Sir Topham Can we take Hatt. a pause real quick? Go, okay. <laughs> I feel it's necessary to explain to our guests that our host, Nick, has a fascination with trains and more importantly, <laughs> a fascination with Thomas the Tank Engine because yeah. you might be confused by what's going on. That's why he's giddy like a schoolgirl. All right, continue. What you can't see if you're listening and not watching the stream. You could hear it. You could hear him laughing. Nick probably knows more about this off the top of his head than I did with any research. It's true, off of his Topham hat, you might say. Yeah. So let's get back to Sir Topham hat. Sir Topham hat is the railway director, otherwise known as the Fat Controller, in an effort to get Henry out of his tunnel, orders the passengers of the train to pull Henry out with a series of ropes. They're unable to, and so they end up trying to push Henry out from the other side. Meanwhile, Sir Topham Hatt stands to the side, not helping on account of quote-unquote doctor's orders. Um, (laughs) With the day's workflow completely derailed, Sir Hatt decides that Henry must be punished for life. He, and I quote, we shall take away your rails and leave you here for always and always. Sir Hat then orders the railway employees to imprison Henry behind a brick wall to live out the rest of his days. In the U.S. version, they insinuate that it is only a temporary thing, but in all other regions, it is quite permanent. Um, before they last few bricks, the last image we see of Henry is his face contorting into anguish. No! <laughs> other examples, we have the story of Smudger. Smudger is, comes from the story of Thomas trying to tell something happy to his other train friends. Uh, it is that there's a group of three lazy trains. One of the trains, Smudger, often forgoes his work to instead run up and down the rail showing off. A manager, in response to this, vows to make him quote-unquote useful at last. 
and turns Smudger into a generator never to move again. Thomas then goes on to say that the other two trains that he worked with worked harder than ever before and lived happily ever after. Oh my gosh. Because they were terrified. <laughs> yeah. So You got 30 seconds to say okay, this so, because it's so I'll, sad. I'll swing it back around. Uh, so there's, a, there's quite a lot going on. And so people have come up with a lot of different theories of the world. I would leave this to you all to decide which one you would rather believe. Uh, some people believe that the world of Thomas the Train Engine takes place in a train-based post-apocalyptic world where the island of Sodor is the only safe zone. But where only but where trains are routinely killed and have their body parts either sold or cannibalized for repair. This is turning it around. To counter this, <laughs> yeah. To counter this, some other people believe that while this information is presently out in the world, that it is in fact disinformation uh, given out by Sir Topham Hat. Uh, as a form of propaganda and authoritarian disinformation. So I leave it to you all to choose which reality of Thomas the Tank Engine to believe in, but do know that this is the real-life world of Thomas the Tank Engine. Time. Yeah. Fuck. Can I note that Thomas well, the Trank Engine was said twice? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas the Drank Engine, am I right? You've been drank it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Entertain This. Sorry if you're leaving it bummed out, either because of the realization of how women are treated in media or because you now realize that Tomic the Tank Engine, Thomas the Tank Engine, there you go, Chloe, uh, might be a cannibal. That could also be happening. Um, But all in all, I'd say it was a pretty successful episode. So, as always, thank you two so much for coming on the podcast uh, this week, being our guests informing us on things that we ourselves did not know and probably could have figured out with a couple of quick Google searches, but it's always nice to hear it straight from the mouth of babes who experience it. Um, babes being babies and not... Okay. No, we're babes. Not, okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. you said what you said. You I mean, I'm just trying to, trying to be okay here. Uh, <laughs> so... As always, if you guys have any suggestions as to what you want to hear us go over, want to see us uh, watch something and talk about here on the show, please email us. Our email is entertainthispodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact us on our Twitter. We are entertain underscore this. Or you can hit us up on our uh, Instagram. We are username entertainthispodcast. Entertain us so we can entertain you and you can entertain us this do you guys want to say anything about the magazine before we go continue supporting women and check us out on our social can we throw our socials in the show notes too oh they'll be in the show okay notes. okay <laughs> throw, them out, the throw show them out verbally too but um, but but put them in the show yeah. notes as um, well. our instagram is at underscore more magazine um find us on facebook find us on linkedin our twitter is pretty inactive so i wouldn't go there but we're on pinterest <laughs> hey oh, yeah. love that <laughs> Nice. And check out the website. There's a new sticker drop coming soon. Oh, yeah. We do know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next Friday. See ya. Bye-bye. This episode of Entertain This was written by Ariana Cruz and Chloe Price from More Magazine, with additional commentary from Alex Steele, Michael Savoya, and Nick Mustakangas. Our theme music is Rush Rubble by Aaron Spencer, with additional transitional music by DJW. Special thanks once again to Nick Wolf for his intermission movie review. Tune in every Friday for new episodes. Thanks for listening.